We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. All right, so an ongoing theme in pastor's leadership training over the years, and I'm not talking necessarily just in, in, in formal training, but he does do this in formal training. But he does it a lot in that individual training that you get, you know, has someone who uh, he's teaching how to lead people and, 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 and all. Uh, he, address, he says that successful people address potential problems on the front end. And in so doing, you avoid looking like the back end. And, um, and I would just like to say that he is correct. I've tried it both ways, and he is right. When you address a potential problem on the front end, uh, you don't have to look like the back end. It doesn't mean you always get it exactly right. So... It doesn't mean you never make mistakes, even though you're trying to address things on the front end, but it means you stand a lot better chance of making a lot fewer mistakes. And I think it's really important. Shelby and I were talking on Christmas evening. Um, We got just a few minutes in in, uh, my bedroom, and we just got to visit, and we hadn't done that in a while. And we were just talking about different things, and, and, and we were talking about this idea of addressing things. You know, when it comes to just how you... Uh, deal with things in life, dealing with them on the front end so that you don't have to deal with the problems that come with not having dealt with them on the front end. And so, um, you know, I think about my biggest blunders in life, and most of them have been because I just didn't give enough thought to something that I should have given a lot of thought to. Um, And when you don't do that, when, you know, you've heard when, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. And that's, that's, you don't find that in the Bible, but that's a biblical principle in that we are supposed to be a prepared people. And, um, and it's true that when we're not, it doesn't usually turn out well. And we've been doing something in the school that, um, you know, I, I don't know if the kids get this yet or not. They will. Um, but we've been going through Proverbs. And rather than us just start at the beginning of Proverbs and teach it from the beginning to the end, I've been asking them to come each morning with Proverbs. And, and, and it's, it's an easy assignment because you can literally flip open your Bible to the book of Proverbs and you can pretty much just close your eyes and, and point and find one that's worth sitting there talking about for five minutes. And so, um, and we usually get three to four Proverbs in in the morning uh, if we talk about each one for about five minutes. So it's kind of nice because we can talk about several different things. And I love how when the kids are, are bringing their Proverbs, I mean, because we'll just, okay, who's got a Proverb? And, and they will raise their hand and we will talk about their Proverb. But it's interesting how God always, there always seems to be a running theme when they are giving us Proverbs because it doesn't matter which kids are doing it. One kid will give a proverb and, and it will be on a, a certain topic. And then the next one over here raises a hand. And they've got one that easily can be married into that one. It's, it's really cool because proverbs are, are just the wisdom of God uh, for us to learn from. And there's so much to be learned. And I want to be that person who is a lifetime learner. 
You know, there's a lot of people in the world that reach a certain age and they, you know, when I asked you, you know, did you get everything this year? That you, but there are people who actually get there. There are people that when we tell you to turn in your Bible to a certain chap, book and, and, and chapter and verse, that when they hear where it is, they're like, I've heard that a thousand times. And when you say that, what you're saying is, God has nothing left to teach me. I've arrived. I got it all. Such a sad place to be. I want to be that lifetime learner. I want to be that person that never gives up on the idea that God still has something to teach me. And Proverbs is a great place to land if you just want to be learning and growing in wisdom. And so I, I want to teach us tonight out of uh, our, our main uh, passage is going to be out of Proverbs 1. And we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to go all the way to the end, I believe to the end of the chapter, through verse 33. That might not be the end. But we're going to go Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 33. And this section of the Bible, uh, in my Bible, in my translation, is called Wisdom Shouts in the Streets. And so starting in verse 20, we're going to read. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm." I've been thinking about what to speak on tonight, and it's the end of the year, and, and you know, you always have these, you know, do you do this big end of the year wrap up? Do you do this charge into the next year? And the fact of the matter is, I kind of think you do. I, 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 it seems cliched, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Um, I think that we get to the end of the year, I, it, we ought to be looking back and evaluating uh, our year, evaluating our walk with the Lord. Are, am I in a, a closer place with the Lord than I was at the beginning of the year? Am I living a life that is more biblical than I did at the beginning of the year? Am I spending my money in a way that pleases God more so than I was at the beginning of the year? Am I having fellowship with other believers more than I was at the beginning of the year? These are important questions that we should be asking ourselves. 
And this is a great time to do it. Why? Because we're getting ready to start a new year next Monday, I believe. And uh, it'd be a great time to, to, to have done this self-evaluation. You know, the, the Bible, God wants us to judge ourselves. When we judge ourselves, he doesn't have to do it. I want to judge myself. I want to look at my own life and say, okay, this is where I did better. And this is where I'm not doing better. And, and if I'm going to be really honest with myself, I need to make some changes. You can avoid making the same. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Lots and lots of people do, including lots and lots of Christian people. But we don't have to do that. If we will evaluate our mistakes, we can learn from them. If we will take responsibility for them, we can change the, the choices and the things that we do that got us in a bad place to begin with. So we live in this world that, that promotes a very self-destructive uh, ideology. And the world would tell us that our mistakes don't really matter as long as we can look around and find someone else that's doing worse than we are. I mean, we all do that. Well, I know that I talk about people all the time, but at least I don't fill in the blank. I know that I, I haven't been going to church like I should, but I'm still a lot nicer than so-and-so who goes all the time. We do these things in our mind to justify our own sin. And the world tells us that that's a good idea. And the second thing that the world promotes is that, that our mistakes and our circumstances are in no way our own fault. It's not your fault. It's the way you were born. It's, it's, it's your personality type. It, it's anything in the, it's everybody else's fault. It's anybody's fault but your own. And I'm not saying that there aren't some circumstances that we get in, into in life that aren't our fault because we live in a fallen world and there are things that happen that are beyond our control that don't have anything to do with bad choices we made, just tough stuff that we all have to go through in life. But I'm talking about those decisions that we make that get us in a really bad place and then we wonder why we're there. People think it's an accident when, when, when children are well-behaved. Well, you, yeah, you're just so lucky your kids were that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> children are well-behaved because parents discipline them according to the Word of God. The Word of God is the best guide for disciplining children. So, so when parents discipline according to the Word of God, guess what? It's an amazing thing that happens. It's, it's the same when it's whatever it happens to be. When, when you, you know, just by showing up at church every Sunday and Wednesday, your life is probably a whole lot less drama filled than a lot of, of people that you know. Why? Because twice a week, you're coming back in. You're kind of getting brought back to center. Yeah. The Lord's giving, you're giving him an opportunity to correct you and rebuke you if necessary. But the world is going to tell you that those, the, 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 the situations that you get into and the mistakes that you make really aren't your own. 
that you didn't have any choice in that. And it's just not true. Most of the difficult circumstances that we are in in life are because of choices that we made. Most of the, the, the problems in relationships that we have to deal with in life are because we're not perfect people and the other side isn't perfect people, but we have done something to cause division and strife. But as long as we keep focusing on what the other person did wrong, we'll never change anything. And I'm just here to tell you right now, if you've got family problems, you, the, Shelby and I are on this thing. It's a you problem. <laughs> it's not a they problem, them problem. It's a you problem. But there's a word that the Bible uses for people who are always pointing out the mistakes of others and who are denying their own mistakes. And that word is a simpleton. And so tonight's message is called, Don't Be a Simpleton. There there we go. We're not going to be simpletons. God has called us to something higher than to live life in a foolish manner, thinking that as long as somebody else is, is doing things worse than we are, that it's okay. That's not going to produce in life for us the kind of life that is available to us. And you got to know, when God looks at me, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. The blood of Jesus allows him to see the perfection of Jesus on us, in us. So he's not disappointed in you. You got to know, he's not sitting up there going, oh, I, did, had, I had no idea they were going to make that choice. That's awful. I wonder what they'll do now. He knows. Yeah, yeah. He's not disappointed. He loves us. But he's also not going to swoop in and rescue us from consequences of our stupid choices. And we make stupid choices. We all do. But he's not going to rescue that, us from those things when he tells us very clearly that wisdom is crying out to us in the street. If we choose to be a simpleton, he's going to let us be a simpleton. And what is a simpleton? It's just someone who's foolish. Someone who makes foolish decisions over and over and over again. And then doesn't take responsibility for said foolish decisions. And then makes them, comforts themselves by looking at other people's bad decisions. And going, whew, I'm not doing too bad. That's not the life that God has for us. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now think about that. We've been talking about living by faith. Here's what you've got to know. You can have faith in your own wisdom just like you can have faith in God for his wisdom. And many, many times I have have made decisions based on having great faith in my own wisdom. And it doesn't work out like I had hoped, ever. 
And it is telling us, it says, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not, and this is talking about asking for wisdom. So you're asking for God's wisdom, not yours. And, and in the asking, you're implying that you're willing to set your wisdom aside, no matter how great you think it is, for his. It goes on to say, do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. See, God's made a way for you to have wisdom, but you've got to have faith in Him alone. Faith in Him alone, in His wisdom. Too many times we have faith in ourselves. We make a decision. It goes wrong. And we come in after the fact. And we try to use scripture to back up a decision that wasn't prayed over. That wasn't biblical in any way, shape, or form. And we try to justify bad decisions. We try to seek God after the fact. Instead of owning our mistakes, we, we justify it and we wrongly use Scripture and retroactively apply the Word. And that's not how wisdom works. We're supposed to do this on the front end. Wisdom has to be sought after and applied. It doesn't mean there's no grace over wrong decisions. God forgives, He loves, He's patient as we... Uh, undergo this process of obtaining wisdom. And let me just say this, just because you have wisdom in one area of life does not mean that you have it in every area of life. I've known some really, really smart business people who are really terrible parents. But we, have this, we also have this thing where if, we're, if we know we got it together in one area, we want to just tell the world how to do everything. I have so many times been standing there when people who are giving parenting advice, first of all, who have children that aren't bigger than this, that's not the time. Don't be given parenting. You don't have any fruit. You don't know if what you're doing is going to work or not. But so many times we see people trying to give parenting advice all the while their kid is running around like a crazy person. That's, you're not the person to give parenting advice. Just because you have wisdom in one area does not mean you have arrived. You need to gain wisdom in every area. You need to submit every area of your life to God so that you can get it. In James chapter 3, there's a section uh, starting in verse 13 going through uh, verse 18 that says the title of that uh, passage of Scripture is True Wisdom comes from God. And I want to read that passage. It says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. 
and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. God gives us every opportunity to get wisdom. He tells us what it looks like when someone is a fool. He tells us what it looks like when someone is wise. I want to break down and I want to talk about the characteristics of a simpleton or a fool and the characteristics of the wise. And we're going to start with the simpleton. And every single thing on this list, I want you to know, has come from scriptures that we've already read. All right, so these are the things that we just read that the Bible tells us are characteristics, characteristics of being a simpleton. Number one, they don't respond to wisdom. Number two, they ignore advice. Now, those two things kind of go together because I, ha I have lived long enough to have been the person who didn't receive wisdom, who didn't listen to advice. And now I've, I've lived long enough to be going, boy, these kids these days, they just don't listen to wisdom and won't receive advice. But here's what I'm telling you. And I would say this to you young people in the room. You don't have to go through that season of being stupid. You don't have to go through that season where you reject advice and wisdom. There are people who get mad when someone tries to offer them wisdom. There, there are people who, oh, they, they want wisdom, but only if they ask for it. Why would you deny yourself the privilege of the wisdom even if you didn't ask for it? You just said something that made someone much wiser than you realize you don't know something and they're trying to help you. It's pride that causes us to, to, to reject wisdom and ignore advice. The characteristics of a simpleton include this. They reject correction. They are complacent. They have very turbulent lives. In other words, they struggle to maintain peace. You think about, think about the ocean, a peaceful ocean or a turbulent ocean. A simpleton's life looks like waves that are just peaking and, 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 and huge and, and, and not a, the kind of waters that you want to be in in a boat. It's turbulent. They are anxious and stressed. If you're talking a lot about being anxious and stressed, there is, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. You, you don't need a psychiatrist. You need wisdom from God. Or maybe a session with Hannah. Because she'll give you wisdom from God. Simpletons hate knowledge. Now, you say, well, that, nobody hates knowledge. No, but they refuse to do the work of gaining knowledge. And if you're not willing to, to, to do the work of getting knowledge, then, then you, you, you may as well hate it. They are unstable. They are led by their emotions. And by the way, this is not just women. We talk a lot about women are le easily led by their emotions. And we are very emotional, we women are. But let me just throw something out there. Anger 
is an emotion. And those men in the room who deal with anger, I'm telling you something right now. You're led, if you're led by that emotion, that, is, that creates instability in your life and in your family. And, 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 and it shows. They are jealous, which means they're always comparing themselves to others. They are proud and selfishly ambitious. And let me just say this. If you have to be arrogant to promote yourself, is it worth it? That's not a godly characteristic. That is the characteristic of a simpleton. And lastly, they do not fear God. Does that mean they're not Christians? No, it just means that they have this, this idea that God loves me no matter what, so he's going to forgive me and all will be well. They don't have a genuine reverence for who God is and, what, and the cost that was paid for them to be able to live in the salvation that they have. So those are the characteristics of a simpleton. The characteristics of the wise are, are this. They have peaceful, untroubled lives. They have honorable lives. Their lives produce good works. They, are not just, they don't just have peaceful lives, but they are peace-loving. In other words, they're seeking peace. They are gentle. They are willing to yield to others. They don't have to have their way all the time. They don't have to have the floor all the time when it comes to speaking. They are merciful. They are impartial. And they are sincere. So we've got these, these, these two things and they are, are genuinely opposite of one another. And yet we've got people in the church... I mean, we could, we could all stand up and we could probably just divide. And, and we've got people that live in both camps. And what I'm telling you is we all need to be in the camp of the wise. That's God's heart for you, is that you would live in wisdom. That you would experience the, the circumstances that take place when you make wise decisions. So I've got five steps for you to grow in wisdom, and I'm going to be very quick about it. But number one, ask God. Well, how, what are we doing when we ask God? We're praying. So in James 1.5, we already read this. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. It doesn't, it's, it, that, it, I'd love to make it much more complex than that, but if, if you want wisdom, ask for it. Number two, Read your Bible. This is hard stuff, isn't it? Ask God, read the Bible. But listen, it says in Proverbs 2, verse 6, that the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, your Bible is his mouth sitting on your coffee table. He's not going to speak it to you from the heavens. You're going to have to open it up and read it. And you know what? I'm not trying to condemn you for what you didn't do this year. What I'm telling you is, man, this would be a good time to get it turned around. This would be a good time to get it turned around. The third thing, humble yourself. Proverbs 11.2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You've got to humble yourself. And we know what the Word says about when you don't. Pride comes before a fall. 
And just because you haven't had one yet doesn't mean it's not coming for you if you don't make a decision to humble yourself. So ask God, read the Bible, humble yourself. Number four is seek counsel. Job 12.12 says, Wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. Can I just tell you something? If you don't have someone in your life who's older than you are, that you are looking up to, and that you are seeking their wisdom, you're making a mistake. You just are. And it doesn't matter what age you get until you just get to the point where you're the oldest. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the, the things that I most admire about Chapman is he genuinely wants to know what I have to say and what I think about things. And he wants to know what pastor has to say and what he, has to th- what he thinks. He asks, and he asks on a regular basis. And that's why at 30 years of age, he walks in a great deal of wisdom. You should have someone, not your, your, your equal in age, not someone who's in the same season of life, but someone who's in the next season of life that you're seeking out because it says right here, wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. And I don't know what, the, it doesn't tell us what the aged is, but here's what I can tell you. If they're your age, they're not aged to you. You ought to be seeking the wisdom of someone who's farther along in life than you are. But on the other hand, it also needs to be someone who has fruit. So don't go talking to someone about your marriage problems because you know they have marriage problems too and it'll make you feel better. You go find the person that's going to make you uncomfortable because they're going to say the hard things to you. So you seek counsel. And then the last one, number five, is this. (laughs) Talk less and listen more. Talk less and listen more. Rick Rick is is kind of brutal sometimes when he's uh, frustrated with me or others. And he'll say... Okay, you need to shut that mouth and open your ears up for just a little bit more. He does love me, though. But he's right. I mean, he's right. We spend so much time wanting to do all of the talking. And you can't learn anything when you're the one doing all the talking. You're the one who screwed everything up. You need to shut up and listen to someone who hasn't. Proverbs 17, 27 says, A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. So if you can do nothing else, shut your stinking mouth. I don't mean that to be rude. I really don't. But we are living in this world where everyone thinks you need to talk everything through. And and, and everybody processes stuff out their mouth. And there needs to be a wave of zipping of the lips so that we can actually learn something. God has something to teach us 
if we could ever just stop talking. And, you know, we talk about our problems to the point where we think we've done something about them, and we haven't. We've done nothing. We tend to think of wisdom as something that everybody else needs. But the truth is we all need more than we've got. And I want to encourage us at the end of the year, I know I've been a little bit harsh, but I really do want you to see this as, okay, man, this is an, we're getting ready to start a new year. You, I don't want anyone ever want someone to wait to try to get wisdom, but I'm just telling you, the timing is perfect for you right now to, to get some wisdom. Whatever amount you have right now, you need more. And so do I. But whether or not you get it is up to you. You have a choice. You can be wise or you can be a simpleton. And I will just close with this. You can't passively grow in godly wisdom. Not one of those five things is a passive thing. Wisdom will not fall on you. You have to do something to get it. So I am encouraging us at CMC this year to make a choice this year and go after wisdom and see if that doesn't just produce a different kind of result, a much more godly result in our lives, a much more fulfilling and satisfying result because that's what God wants for us. But we have got to do our part. He's already done his. We've got to do ours. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.